This podcast of Out to Lunch is made possible by FSC Interactive, an online marketing agency specializing in social media, paid search, and search engine optimization. FSC-focused smart communications empowers customers to take control of their online brands. More at fscinteractive.com. Smart is their middle name. Major support for Out to Lunch on WWNO provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937. Now with more than 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. Online at joneswalker.com. Additional support comes from Fidelity Homestead Savings Bank, Resource Management LLC, Luba Workers Comp, and 30 North Investments. From Commander's Palace Restaurant in the Garden District in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Raschuti. Peter Raschuti is Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and economist. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti. Welcome to Out to Lunch. Before Hurricane Katrina, most New Orleanians only spent time downtown on Canal Street to change buses or to drive through on their way to someplace else. But no less an authority on the human condition than Joni Mitchell said, you don't know what you've got till it's gone. And she's right. But instead of paving paradise and putting up a parking lot, when we realized what we'd lost downtown, we started getting nostalgic. First about the Sanger Theater, and then the Civic, and while we're at it, the Mahalia Jackson Theater in Armstrong Park. And as a result of our public will to hold on to our spaces for public performance, and aided by the state's creation of the Broadway South tax credits, the Sanger, the Civic, and the Mahalia Jackson have all been reborn after millions of dollars of renovations. Now, the theaters are now hosting a multitude of productions from touring Broadway plays to rock concerts, and thousands of New Orleanians are discovering them, many for the first time. The company behind the resurrection of the Sanger and the Mahalia Jackson theaters is ACE, Arts Center Enterprises. ACE operates 22 theaters across the country. The general manager of the New Orleans division of the company, ACE NOLA, is David Skinner. Uh, David, welcome out to lunch. Peter, happy to be here. The Civic is New Orleans' actually oldest theater since it opened in 1906. It's been everything from a home for vaudeville to a movie theater and, yes, even a disco. Uh, one of the beautifully renovated theater's current owners is the managing partner, Brian Bailey. Brian, uh, welcomed out to lunch. Thanks. Glad to be here as well. And uh, I went and got a chance to walk all, th- all through the theater. I think the thing that it, I got the biggest kick out of is how cool the bathrooms were. I know that sounds like an odd thing to say over lunch, but you had those blue lights in the men's room. and the, you know, You've thought this thing out. Well, I'm glad you brought that up. When we first approached the project, uh, my other partners, Brian Gibbs and Gary Solomon Jr., when we were looking at it, uh, we, we were very clear that we didn't want to just restore the theater as it was in 1906. There are so many things, so many people when they approach historic preservation, they focus on returning it to the glory days or returning it to act, uh, exactly as it was. And as time has evolved, there are um, aspects of, of what we've learned as humans and as a society, and we've improved upon those experiences. So there are components of modern day experiences and, and the accommodations that accompany those that we wanted to incorporate. And so, some of that was nicer, cleaner bathrooms that you don't generally find in uh, performance spaces like this. Some of it included uh, a lot of the technology that you don't actually see, the wiring, the conduit through the building that allowed us to say, if someone were going to build a theater for, from scratch five years from now, what would they do 
to make this the best base it could be, and we tried to incorporate as much of that as possible. So. Well, I should have known the lighting was going to be great because we've had Gary Solomon Jr. on the show, and that's his thing, right? Exactly, He's exactly. So it's integrated LED lighting throughout the building, so not, is it, not only is it uh, um, um, environment-friendly, it's, it's also state-of-the-art. Give us a quick sketch of how the theater business works. Uh, when we see a show is coming to the Sanger or to the Civic, give us an idea how the show gets there in a, in a business sense. Uh, are certain shows better suited for certain theaters, or are you in competition with each other to stage the same shows? Uh, I don't think I've ever had a chance to say this and mean it literally. Take us behind the scenes. <laughs> well, uh, first off, the Sanger, Mahalia, we don't compete with the Civic. We're, we're going after different shows and, and, and appealing to uh, maybe the same market, uh, but the, the level of shows uh, that the Civic has or we have or the arena has or UNO has is all driven by the number of seats uh, and what you can afford to put in. So help us there. How big well, are your facilities? Well, the uh, Mahalia is 2,100, the Sanger is 2,600. Um, that's public seating. When we're out looking at uh, talent, I have a full-time talent buyer on staff, and it's his job to uh, stay in constant contact every day uh, with the agents, uh, with the, the, the talent buyer, talent sellers, if you would, and so forth, with, with all the talent companies. Um, sometimes we will approach uh, an agency and want to do the Act Chicago, let's say. We, we've zeroed in on that that could be a good show that we want to go after. Uh, so we will get a hold of their agent, uh, see what the routing is and what the cost is. Sometimes they will call us and say, hey, John Legend is touring uh, and looks like routing is going to take him by New Orleans. So what we will do is take what they're asking for that act. Uh, sometimes what they're asking for is uh, sometimes like a car price. Um, <laughs> you don't always pay retail. Um, you know, they're asking for retail plus, uh, and, and you want to only pay wholesale. Somewhere in the middle, there, there's that, that happy medium, if you would. Uh, so you, uh, you, you strike that, that, that happy ground. But unfortunately, uh, you, you, are, you are weaving a, a very difficult blanket there because if you go too low and they go, well, they're not serious in New Orleans, we'll just take that and go to Houston. Uh, so you, you have to be careful not go too low. So anyway, we decide on whatever the talent might be. Uh, we do our internal uh, pro formas. Uh, not only is it going to be the talent, but what are the costs that we have associated with that uh, from marketing, advertising, production, sound, lights, backline, uh, in-house costs from us or security, ticket takers, ticketing, ticket selling. What does all that cost? We take all that and lump it together, and so we come up with a ticket price. And then from the ticket price, we say, okay, if we think the ticket averages are going to be $70 and we have uh, X amount of dollars in expenses, what's our break-even? Just like anybody in business would, would approach it. And... Uh, is that break even at a level that we feel comfortable with? Uh, or is it at a level where we go, you know what, we may want to pass on this one. So it, it's, it's a roll of the dice sometimes. Right. Uh, and Bram, what about yourself? You're, I mean, when you negotiate with a, uh, an act, uh, is it a set price or do they get a piece of the door? How does any of this work anyway? Uh, you know, every, every deal can be different. There are um, 
many agents have have sort of started leaning towards a certain way to approach those deals. But to to echo some of his sentiments, there isn't necessarily a competition. One of the things when we were bringing the Civic back that we felt great about is is so we. We have a modular flooring system, so our, our, our capacities are, are configurable. Traditional theater-style seating, 700. Um, general admission on the ground floor, 1,200 people. Oh, so we're in 7 to 1,200 range. Uh, that, that doesn't, it fills a nice void between, say, House of Blues and Tipitina's and then Sanger and, and, and Mahalia Jackson. And um, With the artists, we, we don't focus as much on theater simply because we don't have... Uh, enough seating capacity to justify uh, some of the costs that are associated with the bigger theatrical acts, even though our stage can handle it. Um, and we have been fortunate enough to strike a great partnership with whom I believe is one of the best uh, independent live music promoters in the country, Bowery Presents from New York. So they handle most of the talent buying, or all of the talent buying. That said, I've become familiar with the process, and you know, the focus is generally trying to find a way to get the artist everything they want but to do it in a way that you can still find an affordable ticket price for the patron and make the experience great for them and fill your room. And just like he was saying on a break even, if, it, if, we're, if it's a general admission show and it's a 1,200 capacity and, and we have to sell 1,000 tickets at a ticket price that we think is a little bit high for this market uh, to, just to break even with all of the show expenses included as well, hey, that's not always a great deal. You know, so we, we, we like to find it if, if our competitors in the market uh, from a capacity standpoint for a lot of the live performance shows are, say, Tipitina's or House of Blues, but our capacity is greater, we, we shouldn't have a break-even point of higher than what their max capacity is simply because we don't need to. Now, let me, let me ask, I'll start with David on this. What, you don't just jump into a business like this. What were you, what were you doing before, uh, before you got into this part of it? Well, you're right. I didn't just jump into it, but I have been in it my entire life. I grew up uh, my first part-time job uh, was selling uh, vending popcorn and Coke uh, in a, an arena that my father was running in Charleston, West Virginia. <laughs> um, and uh, my, uh, that, was, that was in high school. And he wouldn't let me work weekdays, only weekends. And uh, so I've spent my entire uh, life in this business. Uh, my first... Uh, uh, if, if this is radio, so nobody can see how old I am. But, <laughs> I'd like to point uh, out you look terrific. Uh, right? Well, thank you. Uh, uh, but I'm only 29. <laughs> uh, now, I, uh, uh, you know you've been in the business a long time. When my first full-time job in this business was with the Omni Arena in Atlanta, and it's been imploded. Uh, <laughs> so um, uh, it's now the home of Phillips Arena. But uh, I've spent my entire life uh, in this business. I came to New Orleans in uh, 77 when... Uh, I helped form the first, what is referred to as private management company, which is what I work for now. Uh, the first private management company was a company called FMG, and it was formed in 1977. And uh, the first uh, facility was the Superdome. Wow. And that's what brought me to New Orleans in 77. And I've, I've lived here on and off, <clears throat> moved away for a few years, but came back because I wanted to be part of the renaissance of New Orleans. So. And there's nothing to eat in other places. Well, <laughs> you know, what they call food and what we call food are two different <laughs> ends of the universe. Wow. What, now, now, Brian, on the other hand, uh, so you got out of Tulane in, like, was it 02? 02. And, and you didn't go right into this theatrical business. What did you do? Uh, quite the opposite of him. I sort of fell into this backwards and maybe was uh, dragged kicking and screaming along <laughs> the way. Uh, I, I don't know 
of anyone that goes into the, certainly on the theater ownership side, into it and, and, and thinks of it as a, an ideal model from a pure return on equity standpoint. And there's no real, even when we were looking at uh, restoring the civic, there was, there's no real model to base it off of. And you say, okay, well, everything that we're looking at as a pro forma from, from potential revenues and operations down the road, it's purely speculative. Uh, you can have a couple of things off of which to base it, but right. it, you know, even now, even with the show schedule, you you can guess all day long what your shows are going to do, but you you don't know until they happen. There's nothing to track it on, uh, as as there are in many other other businesses. Um, so when I got out of college, I focused on real estate and specifically real estate development, and have st am still doing that. That's how I started with the Civic. I wasn't planning on getting this involved with operations, but. You know, a year a year after opening, we we still see opportunities to improve the model. Well, it's a lot easier to meet girls when you say you're running <laughs> Civic than you know, building a strip mall out there. That's a, that's a good point, Peter. <laughs> I'm not going to argue with that. <laughs> now, let me ask you, David. Um, um, you've you've been through a lot of these things. You've been in the business a long time, but after all of this, what keeps you up at night? Like, you know, you've got these two amazing facilities, and um, you know, what is it that? What do you worry about? I have. A job that's not a job. Um, you know, when, when you enjoy what you do, it's not a job. Uh, I can spend 15, 18 hours at work, uh, which I often do, uh, and, I, and I will uh, th this coming weekend. I mean, we have three shows back to back, and I know that Saturday or, or Friday night on the show Friday, if I'm home by 3 or 3.30 a.m., it'll, <laughs> it'll be fortunate. Uh, my wife understands that. <laughs> be honest, when I get home at 3.30 uh, Saturday morning, nothing is going to worry to keep me up because I'm going to fall asleep <laughs> um, and be back at it uh, by probably noon on, on Saturday. And once the show's over, the show's over and just move to the... And just go to the next one, yes. You talked about how you kind of grew up in the business and, uh, and your family was in the business. Um, what about yourself? What did, your, what did your folks do? Did... Were you running a circus or something through Ohio or something like that? <laughs> I grew up in Knoxville, Tennessee. Most of my family's still there. Uh, my dad started a lumber business when he was 27, and he and his partner still run it today. And um, so I, I grew up with in a family where I was uh, exposed to people with great work ethic and and great commitment to family, and is an excellent opportunity, but also very supportive of us to of myself and my siblings to, to choose our own paths and, and to do the things that felt right to us. But you spent some days in the um, working in two-by-fours? I, I didn't spend too much. I went on a few road trips with my dad while he was meeting with, uh, with customers and uh, was blown away by how well he handled the, the personal engagement. And that's something I've tried to learn from. And, and whether, it's a, you know, whether it's with the Civic or other businesses and, and, and just really focusing on the people and, and recognizing that if you know, the people around you are happy, that everything else will ultimately go well. So far, so good. I, um, well, you know, what I think people always, always want to know, though, is when you're, uh, you're kind of in between some very large cities, like we have Atlanta and Houston on the other side. Is New Orleans sometimes a stop, a midweek <coughs> stop for some people that come through? Or? Well, before Katrina... Um, and, and it's important to, to zero in on before Katrina. Uh, on so many shows, it, of course it had taken many years, but New Orleans was a natural stop. Coming from Atlanta, you would just flow through New Orleans on your way to Houston. Um, well, you have Katrina hit, and all of a sudden you have five or six years, and we're not there. And so routing has now taken a different path. 
And just because we're open again and the, and the light's on and the shingle's out doesn't mean they're going to come back automatically. We now have to go back out and knock on the doors and pound the pavement and say, hey, we're back. We're better than ever. Come back to New Orleans. And, and I will tell you that it's not been as easy as, as one might think it has been. Uh, and then on top of that, uh, the, the biggest challenge that we face uh, as a, a venue our size, the demographics of New Orleans have changed drastically from what it was pre-Katrina. From your uh, perspective, tell us what that change has been. Well, uh, you know, when we looked at the, the, and it's good and bad, uh, when we looked at the Sanger uh, pre-K, we were uh, running about 350,000, people through the doors a year for urban shows, urban stage shows, urban concerts, and so forth. That market is, that ticket buying market is not there today the way it was pre-K. Um, we don't have the urban shows that are touring. They go to, to Atlanta and they go to Houston, but it's hard to get them to come back to New Orleans. I've been working to bring them back in, and the ones we have uh, had back in had not been as successful as we thought they should have been. But, and that's because the urban market has changed. Um, a great deal of the urban ticket buying market relocated and didn't come back. Uh, and so that's impacted the, the kind of shows we bring in. Now the flip of that coin is that pre-K we were running 5,500 season subscribers for Broadway. And yet today uh, for our 13, for our 14, 15 season, we're closing in on 14,000 subscribers. Wow. So, and I think a lot of that has to do with the, uh, the change in demographics, the, uh, the effects we're seeing now of the biomedical uh, uh, complex uh, center. All that's going to be living downtown. Absolutely. Be, yeah, and, and I think that's changing the entire demographic of the ticket buyer. And I'm sure the Civic is seeing the same, well, yeah. uh, maybe the same thing. Uh, although you probably go to a, a, what, a younger market than we do. The, the last time that the Civic was opened, yeah. I, I think I was still sucking my thumb. So it's, it's, <laughs> it's okay. It's, it was disco. You didn't been, really miss it's anything. It's been 30 yes. years. Um, so it, it, it's interesting in that context that the Civic is the oldest theater in the city, and yet it's the newest uh, from the standpoint of we don't have brand position with anyone. We're having to build that from scratch. We're having to put it on people's radar screen. And, and certainly we, we've tried to focus on, with the 1,200 capacity for general admission, we've tried to focus on acts that previously weren't passing through New Orleans. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, it's, we, we're still trying to figure out exactly what our best niche is. And, and some shows have been overwhelmingly successful and others not so much. Uh, but it's, it's still fine-tuning that. I think all of it, though, speaks to some of the, the direction that New Orleans is heading in as a whole. And it's this after Katrina when you have not a blank slate, but when you have so much that needs so much attention to get the city back operating properly, you can take a step back. It's a rare opportunity, and, and hate to talk about that as opportunity because it was an absolute tragedy. Having said that, what's done is done, and then it's an opportunity to say, okay, we have to do so much. How do we want this to be rebuilt? How do we want to approach New Orleans? How do we want it to appear 10 years from now? And, and I think you're seeing a lot of this attempt to preserve the cultural hair. It wasn't, again, it wasn't just re restore New Orleans exactly as it was on August 27th, 2005. You know, let's, let's see what we can do to preserve the cultural heritage of this city and the tradition of it 
but bring this city forward. And, and so you're seeing a lot of new energy, a lot of people moving to town, some of them very naive, but bless them for coming anyway. And, and so you're, you're, you're seeing this sort of fusion of this forging a new path forward, but maintaining the, the integrity of what has made this place so special for so long. And, and that's part of what we're trying to do with the Civic. I think the Sanger, you know, they're, they're trying to build that back. I love the Sanger. It's one of my favorite, favorite spaces in the city. And you're seeing it all over. And the, there's actually a community downtown there wasn't, people didn't live downtown 15 years ago, and now between South Market and 930 Poydras and Civic Loss and all of the warehouse district, there's a thriving downtown community that's only going to continue to grow. There are, you know, the footnote to that is there are very few cities that ever have a chance to reinvent themselves the way New Orleans has been given that opportunity. Uh, and, and I really do think, at least today, we're taking full advantage of that. Brian Bailey, David Skinner, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, one of the results of the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina was to make us aware of what we were at risk of losing if we didn't actively do something to save it. A lot of New Orleanians took at least spiritual ownership of our long history of theater and entertainment. So on behalf of all of us, thank you both for everything you've done and you're doing to keep New Orleans theater alive. And thank you both for joining me on Out to Lunch today. My pleasure. Thanks for having us. This, is, this has been terrific. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been David Skinner, General Manager of Ace Nola, the man behind the curtain at the Sanger and the Mahalia Jackson Theater, and Brian Bailey, co-owner and managing partner of the Civic Theater. To find out more about David and Brian's theatrical ventures, follow the links on our websites, www.no.org and itsneworleans.com. Our show is recorded live over lunch at Commander's Palace in New Orleans. Commander's Palace serves lunch Monday through Friday, jazz brunch on Saturday and Sunday with live music and dinner seven nights a week. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merrill. The often quoted Jennifer Smith is our researcher. Mitch Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can listen to the show as a podcast. You can listen to past shows and you can keep up with us on all kinds of social media by going to our websites. It's neworleans.com and wwno.org. Support for Out to Lunch comes from PreSonus Audio Electronics. Information about Baton Rouge-based PreSonus is online at PreSonus Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting and WWNO for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. I'm Peter Raschuti. I look forward to meeting you again next week for Out to Lunch around the table here at Commander's Palace. Till then, be well, be safe, be happy. Bye-bye. Major support for Out to Lunch on WWNO provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, online at joneswalker.com. Additional support provided by Fidelity Homestead Savings Bank, Resource Management, LLC, Luba Workers Comp, and 30 North Investments.